You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. I'm John Teeter, Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. Welcome back, everybody. I have been busy hunting and learning about what's going on in my own property, amongst other properties that I hunt currently. And I had a great night tonight. I had two bucks come into a set. I did a hanging hunt. And uh, it's been a pretty productive season for me. I've been passing up you know, several deer. Um, there's one particular deer I'm going after right now. And... Uh, I think it's a low probability kill, but I'm trying to put the pieces together. seems like a lot of these deer, you know, they're on to something, right? They have a plan. They've been planning out their uh, their execution on some of these does. They're, they're trying to get ready to, to breed some of these does or they're breeding does at this point, and it's prep time. So a lot of you that have these spots picked out, it's go time. It's not paying attention to your cameras. It's getting in the woods. And today I got Eric Hansen back. Uh, he was on a podcast previously we've done, and we're going to talk a little bit about his season, what's to come for him, and how to rut hunt. Hey, Eric, are you on the line? I'm here. How are you? Good. Welcome back, man. Happy to have <clears throat> you. Uh, yeah. let's, let's talk about your season a little bit so far and some of the strategy that you've kind of already employed, at least. you know, Maybe even talk about some of the setups that, that you're currently hunting, and then I want to do prep and planning for the rut because when this comes out, It'll be, you know, during the breeding phase. So I want people to start understanding your approach and tactics. So let's hear about your season so far. Sure. So I am generally a private land guy. I'll say that up front because that makes a little bit of a difference. So I like to, <clears throat> I'm big on the blinds per our last podcast. Um, all, I mean, I choose stand on obviously as well, but I like to have several, when I say several, um, I mean, I'm talking dozens of, you know, preset or uh, setups, whether it's a blind, stand, etc. usually based around, <clears throat> you know, that early season. And then a lot of times that translates into late season. Um, but at the same time, I do hunt some, you uh, still private land, but it has pressure from other hunters. I don't own it in those particular uh situations I'll be doing the hanging hunts like you did, or, you know, you always find yourself having to tweak stuff a little bit. Yep. Um, but you know, I think the cool part is you spend so much time in the off season getting ready. The, the season's like the relaxing part. It's like you get to watch it unfold in front of you. Did it work? You know, did you, did, did I do this right? Is this going to work? 
Um, maybe I need to hunt here a different time of year. So this, I mean, this is awesome. This time of year, just watching everything play out and see how, see how well he did. Yeah. I think it's having a plan and executing, but at the same point it's adapting. And to that point, you know, I like to, I'm doing freestyle hunting. If I feel like I'm putting too much pressure on an area, you know, I'll go hunt another farm. And then, you know, my strategy right now, and like tonight, I was just tweaking a few things with my setup. You know, I, I bought, I don't even know. Uh, I have, so my, my setup is like for my hanging hunt setups, it's a Lone Wolf Custom Gear 1.0. I've got the sticks. I've been using this setup for the past couple of years and I bought new clips. So I, would, I was finding was, you know, I wasn't quiet as I wanted to be or as quiet as I wanted to be. So I'm doing a little bit better of selecting trees and getting my setup in there a little quieter. I, I walked in tonight and it's super crunchy. So I could only go in the woods probably about 30 yards. And all these deer were using these uh, congregate areas. I call them intermediate cover. And all it is is, you know, young beach brush in concert with, you know, sugar maple. And just awesome little staging areas for some of these does to kind of hide in place as these bucks are navigating, you know, these different travel corridors. And so I'm hunting just outside a transition area from one, we'll just say, intermediate area or focal point to another point. And I find that to be a pretty good strategy from this point, you know, through the rest of the rut. And, you know, I, I we each have our own things that are going on, but that, that seems to work well for me um, versus, you know, having these pre-planned, pre-set up, you know, situations, which ultimately I usually have more success in those locations, but... You know, caution the wind, I might just go for something. And, you know, in some cases, if I don't think those pre-setups are going to work for me, I'm going to have to use, you know, a climber in my hanging hunt setup. So I'm trying to be flexible, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and most of my hunting, no different from yours, I want things like strategically laid out. And so it's kind of a little more clockwork. It, it doesn't necessarily always flow that way, but, you know, deer comes in mm-hmm. A, leaves in B, and, and I'm, I'm not guessing where they're coming and going, right? So... I don't know. That's just just my take on things right now. Yeah, that we we did a hanging hunt the other day, and we weren't even that high in the tree, and it was remarkable. What the takeaway was from it is, it, it, they deer didn't even look. I mean, there was nothing. They were totally oblivious. You know what I mean? It was just that, that surprise element's the real deal, and you know the fact that you know the old saying, "Your first time in is usually your best time in," and I believe it. It doesn't mean you can't kill them after that, but. Uh, you know, they, it is remarkable that element of surprise and you definitely got to do it. And, you know, people think you got private land and you, you, you don't need any mobile setup. And like I, I started saddle hunting three years ago and actually just like you, I, I'm literally staring at a lone wolf custom gear. I got the 0.75 that I just ordered because to your point, you're always trying to do it a little bit better, a little bit quieter. Um, but people are surprised that I do those, you know, those hanging hunts and that's just, yeah, it's private ground, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep them guessing for sure. Yeah, I, I like that. You know, you're like a ghost and you vanish, but at the same point when you show up, you know the the lights can go out real quick for these deer. So another cool observation I made today, which I thought was interesting, is so one of the does bedded down, and it was a doe fawn, and she bedded down, and the mother came up and she did kind of like it sounded almost like a maternal grunt, and I don't hear that too often. I wasn't far from these deer. I mean, I was within, I don't know, 15 yards or less. And I heard her give a little, almost sounded like a grunt, kicking the, the fawn up. 
she wanted the fawn to get out of that area before that buck came through, which I thought was interesting. That was my afternoon hunt. My morning hunt was kind of cool. I had a button buck uh, come through with, with his, um, his mother, and they were directly downwind of me. And again, the high pressure system saves the day again. Like it's picking the right day where, you know, you throw out your milkweed and we pay so much attention to like using like observation tools like that. Your scent molecules are so light. If you see that milkweed rising at all, at at any point, your scent molecules are doing like a thousand times that. So, you know, where the milkweed went over the, the doe's head, it was... I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm, I'm beyond safe at this point. I mean, there's no way that she's going to, you know, even downwind catch my scent. So there's certain days you can get away with so much, and it's it's finding those right days, at least making making the huntable days, you know, better for you, picking the right location, but recognizing that you can, you can get away with murder in some instances. And that was kind of my, my takeaway from today's hunt for me personally. Yeah, interesting. I did not – I haven't hunted in a few days. I – um, I was telling you beforehand that I had the perfect scenario come into play on my target buck. Um, everything except the final part. And, um, I'll leave it at that, but this deer dropped like a foot at the shot. It was a 30 yard shot. And, um, long story short, he's still going, he'll be fine. Um, pretty much the rest of my season is going to be after him. And, uh, if it works out and, I think everybody will see why if it works out. So, um, yeah, so I haven't hunted in a bit. I'm trying to get my daughter on one. She, a funny story, she, she's shooting like 40 pounds, and <laughs> she got her first shot uh, two days ago at a doe, and I was filming it, and um, it was a little bit of a circus because I'm trying to film and range <laughs> yeah. it and open yep. the windows. You know, we're in a blind, and, yep. you know, the, the arrow, it goes like a twink, you know, and, it, like, you can literally see it <laughs> kind of. <laughs> going through the air and the doe just ducks out of the way and the thing went like long ways over her back. So, um, <clears throat> that was attempt number one for her. I think she's starting to realize it's not as easy as she thinks it's going to be. So, uh, it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can relate. No shots fired on my end, but we've had some okay. close encounters and my son is blaming me for every mistake that happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually had my buddy take him out uh, at one of the nights and he saw seven deer, you know, he had a chance and you know, he's, we're at 20 yards. I mean, 23 yards, the doe comes in and then she gives him a, a backside shot. And obviously he's not taking that. Uh, so we, we've mm-hmm. just been, it's been a cat and mouse game. I think, you know, not this weekend, but the following weekend, we'll we'll get a game plan together. I, I don't mind hunting with him in the rut, him getting to see the action. And, you know, it's yeah. if he saw some of the stuff I saw tonight, I think he would have just I, – I, he hasn't seen that. So he doesn't, he doesn't know what it takes. You know what's ridiculous? I, I want to mention this is all these states have different regulations. So anybody who listens to this probably recognizes I'm in New York. I, I actually live in central New York area. And – the one thing about New York that's absurd is they have this youth hunt, right? And I'm not opposed to the youth hunt at all, but we wanted to, and I know, Eric, you're anti this, but he's really struggling to be accurate at times with that bow. And I said, you know what? Why don't we take the crossbow? And I started looking at the regulations, and during that youth firearm season, you can't use crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to correct you when you said the one thing that's crazy about New York. Yeah, it's really, multiple things, but <laughs> yeah. So, so I didn't, I didn't know that either. But okay. I, I, well, you know what I say? You know what? I mean, I, obviously, I'm trying to be 
very law-abiding. I mean, obviously, because my career here. So I'm just double-checking stuff, et cetera. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, thank God I checked the regulations again. There was a little small, like, written, you know, in small print on a, on a map that you could not use crossbow. And we have been practicing with a crossbow because, you know, they're at 25, and he's just he's not there yeah. at 25. We're, ju- we're just not there. So, you know, we're, we're 15 and in, and I've got these spots set up. Like, I'm tempted the next rainstorm to go out and put fencing in so I can get them a little bit closer. Just, we're just, we're just, (laughs) you know, I want it to go down for him. And I have not killed a deer Mm -hmm. on my property. I got to take out two does this year. Really should take out three. And I I really, I'm, I'm getting in that part of the year where I'm like, I'm taking, I'm taking away, you know, food options for other deer by letting the season start to, to, to yeah. carry on and i think sure. very consciously of this is you know my my deer population how much food's being consumed almost on the daily and how much you know i give up a month two months i mean start doing the math right that's a lot of food when these deer at this point in time need really kind of need those resources so I, I think about you know the important you know element of that is particularly three deer and a small property it's meaningful when yeah. they're spending that much time on your property all right I want to skip. I want to skip over this stuff. I want to, you know, some of the information that I think is important for for people to think about is looking at, you know, the the next phases, the rut, and having a plan of action. So I want to hear how you approach this next phase of the season and some of the tactics that you employ, spot setups, anything specific or pertinent that you would think would be relevant to somebody who's preparing for this time of year. Maybe even motivation, because I think. You know, some people get to the point where they're like, oh, man, I haven't seen a deer in a day or am I in the right spot? Or, you know, they they just start questioning themselves. And so I kind of want to hear, you know, Eric's take on, you know, your next phase of this and what what it looks like for you. I mean, personally, I love right now till about, you know, the first few days of November. And then, you know, obviously it can get a little chaotic, you know, deer traveling, crazy amounts of of ground, etc. Um the rut isn't, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, it's not my favorite. It's exciting, but like for me personally and how I set things up, it's not my favorite. doesn't mean I don't hunt it. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's very exciting. Um, I have, I have these food plots that multiple and yeah, you set them up for early season. Sometimes the staging as they work out to the big ag fields or whatever, but they also work in the rut because the bucks will check those. Um, sometimes it's the easiest path to walk and they can check those. Obviously, um, I have most of those on the downwind side of bedding area as it is. So you'll catch these bucks maybe, uh, showing themselves, um, a lot more than they would this time of year. Um, in terms of like, you know, the motivation part, I think that, uh, I just think that if you, if you've done it long enough, um, you know, it can have, it's just it's a magical time of year. So you don't, you know, if you need motivation, I guess maybe you're, I mean, I get it. It gets hard sitting there all day, but, um, anything can happen at any time. So, um, I think cell cameras come into play in terms of just knowing like, okay, this buck is in this particular area. He's with a doe or he was by himself. If he was by himself on a cell camera on November 7th, eh, you know, he's at two in the morning. He's probably not worth going in there because he's probably long since passed. But, you know, if you catch him with a doe and you, you know, you can, I like putting my cell cameras on, um, instant group. 
uh, I use a stealth cam and you get instant group. And it basically what it does is it keeps taking pictures until there's no more movement. Mm. So it's, it's not like having it on video that takes up a lot of space and whatnot. And it's tough with cell cams, but, um, it's instant group. So it just keeps taking pictures. So you get the, you get the, you know, direction of travel, how fast they're going, you know, what's going on. So that's been a, that's been a big plus for me this year to run that feature. I look forward to it during the rut, especially. I think it'll help a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know stuff has that option. That's a, it's a nice feature to have. I, I kind of like, I, I like hearing more about that. Cause I think a lot of people get sucked into, you know, sitting there and they're like, your cell cameras are going off and they get like a blank, <laughs> you know, you get a blank picture. You, you missed the deer or you got the tail end of the deer or maybe you just got a frontal of the deer. You don't get the full story and you're like, okay, there's movement. And then it's, it's trying to get ahead of that movement. A lot of times it's predicting uh, what these deer are going to do. And, you know, oddly enough, like it's, it's knowing before they know, you know, you know, what's going to go down. And it's, if you set up these properties correctly, rut movement's pretty predictable in the sense of how they navigate the landscape. It's like you yeah. said earlier, you're making the path of least resistance or giving the deer the most opportunity to evaluate, you know, from a safety or reproductive standpoint, you know, a particular area, you know, and then, and then the other piece of it is vocalization. So what do you typically do? Like, are you a big, you know, a lot of people want to use um, grunts or bleats or, you know, a type of tonality, do you like deeper grunt tubes? Like what is your typical go-to vocalization tools and how often do you use those? I, I have very, very mixed results with that stuff. Um, whether it's a grunt, snort, wheeze, I've had to work like magic, but man, I've had probably more than half of it where they just, they either don't care. I've had them get scared and run the other way. Um, I mean, I had, I mean, mature bucks get scared and run the other way. And I don't think I sound that bad. Maybe it is me, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I just don't, man, I don't know. I don't, I usually do not call blindly. Uh, that's just me. I don't want the deer to be able to pin anything down. I just want to be, you know, I want to be a ghost. I just want to be there in the right spot. And then when he comes by, capitalize um will i do it if i see the deer going the other way sure sure i will i did it the other night with my daughter there was a buck at the other end of the plot and he was following does and i tried it and he scrapes the ground you know all aggressive but ultimately he was going to follow those does so you're you're you know will it work sure but me personally eh, you know at best 50 50 one thing i noticed recently and this is on my own property is I've been noticing up into this period of time. So this is going to come out during the rut period, but in this, you know, second half or later half of October, I've noticed a lot of blowing throughout my property. I think there's a lot of alarm calls going off with the does and it's not, it could be a form because there's predators in the areas that have had a lot of coyotes cruising through at certain points in time. Not as many as uh, they have in the past, which shows me they're not, transversing the property the same way they used to which is a good thing and i think it's some of the work that i've been doing to disrupt their movement but separately from that is you know they're blowing a lot they're on high alert and i'm trying to you know they always say hunt the does i'm trying to figure out where the does are trying to co-locate and what i'm finding is you know that the maternal element of these deer is to try to you know stay on the food as long as possible 
until they're disruptive, you know, enough, and they're getting to that point where they're, they're starting to get highly disruptive, where they're they're a little more scattered, and it's trying to figure out what areas they're using and why. And when I used to hunt big farm country, you know, it would just be the most random hedgerow, or you know, they'd have this little small, you know, I guess overgrown area out in the field. I, I just saw the most random things in those instances, but in my own property. It's like, it's, it's hard to pinpoint their exact locations where their traditional bedding areas get disruptive pretty easily because I don't have a, on a small property, I don't have the depth, right? I don't have the volume of cover. These, these bedding areas are half an acre. They're not three acres or four acres. So because of that, I, I don't, they're easily penetrated by, by bucks, right? And so they're disruptive and, you know, the deer goes from one area to the next area, but they're on high alert at this point. And I've noticed that kind of behaviorally and watching their, you know, their physiology, how they kind of walk around and just their, their attentiveness to what's going on. I've been watching these deer check out this one location consistently because that's where all the bucks have been coming up. And it's just, it's kind of funny to watch that on your property and like, okay, so how can I give them more comfort in some of these areas, you know, to make the hunting a little bit better when it comes to the rut? And, and I think I gave some examples there. Size mm-hmm. matters at that point. So what are things yeah. that you're noticing on the landscape or thoughts that you have just maybe in regards to setup and things of that nature? Yeah, you definitely need, you're definitely going to see less does in, these, in the food, you know, in the feeding areas, whether it's a big, like for me, you know, I got the big ag fields, but I also got the smaller plots, but either one of them, the does aren't going to be as frequent. I mean, this time of year I'll go into spots and you may see a dozen, you know, a dozen does depending on the size of it, maybe more, but um, that is going to go away. And if you continue to sit that pattern, you're going to get real frustrated during the rut. Um, I've been there, you know, I've been there, done that. Um, so do food plots work during the rut? They, they, they can. And it's those smaller ones that are maybe inside the cover more. And I think the does can still go go to those and they'll be on high alert. I mean, you'll definitely see them. They're like, you know, they're wired. They're looking around for everything and it shifts from maybe wired looking for human pressure to wired looking for those bucks that are just, you know, harassing them constantly. So I think this, like you said, the size of the food plot, the type of food plot it is, it can either be a dud during the rut or it can still be effective. And I think deciphering the difference in those um, takes, you know, just time and experience to figure that out. Let's talk about a good area on a property that you hunt or own and, and set up for this scenario. And I want to know what it looks like, size of it, you know, how it lays out the hunting aspect of it as well. Um, well, again, for me, um, I have the I have the benefit of having, you know, ag country, big farm fields. But then I also have the property with much more cover, Still some ag fields, but the ag fields are somewhat irrelevant because there's not much there as you get into the, you know, the November, December time frame. So um, if you want to start with the ag scenario, the big ag, for me, it's like you mentioned, it's small cover. It's, it's little postage stamps here and there. And, and for me, it might be some obscure setup like a hedgerow or like a, a low spot in a field that connects, there might not even be any cover in it, but it's a low spot in the field connects to sections of timber. Like you'll be setting up on these spots sometimes in ag country. And it's, you, people think crazy some days. And I think I am crazy at times too. Um, you know, like you're kind of like, what am I sitting here for? But 
if those deer are cruising, that's where they're going to go. And, and it's, it might be the backside of a hill, just a little bit over. It could be, um, it could be just the, the shortest point of, uh, the shortest gap from one section to the other. Um, we find ourselves in hedgerows a lot, um, just because that's where those bucks will run, you know? Um, so that's like in an ag setting and I can go deeper into that if you want more of like the, the bigger wood setting. It's still these, I, you know, in those situations I have the small food plots. Um, but instead of being on those plots, I have stands set up in between them, so to speak, more in the cover where if I set up there in early October, it'd probably be pretty boring. I wouldn't see the numbers of deer. I might catch them going through, but I don't have the mature bucks in those areas. But I know when it when they start cruising, looking for things, that's when they're going to use those those spots. Eric, that that example that you're talking about, where it's a little more forested and smaller food plots, what's the relative distance you are from the food sources, and, and what time of day are you typically hunting those? Uh, distance that I hunt from the food sources. You're yeah, yeah. So in these transition um, areas or areas maybe adjacent to bedding or whatever the case may be, or mm-hmm. their cruising locations, a little more descriptive on you know relative distance, what they look like, what's the timber like, and you know what time of day do you hunt them? Sure. So I've got plots that back up to large bedding, like it goes into a river bottom and then up on a on a uh, on a hillside, and all that's bedding and the food plot is the first thing that they hit when they come out of that bedding, but they're on their way to more cover, if that makes sense. Sure. So I can still, I can still effectively hunt those food plots because it, at certain spots, they're only 30 yards wide. I mean, I might have a two acre plot just because I need to feed deer, but it'll narrow up in certain spots. And, you know, you can kind of find those travel corridors and still hunt the food, so to speak. It's just, you're, you're, you're hunting food not for that movement where they come out and stand there and feed for, you know, 45 minutes and then work off. It's more of, they're going to be passing through there, checking for does. They kick some does out of the cover next to it. And then, you know, you could have your chance. Um, Does that answer your question on that one or no? Yeah, no, it does. And so I'm a little interested how you, people want to hear about this kind of stuff, the architecture piece of it. So you said you got like a two acre food plot. So what have you done within the food plot to push deer one way or the other? Are you using fencing or is it, you know, what you're planting there? Is it corn? What are you using to kind of shape that movement? No, both. I mean, I'll do corn sometimes, uh, um, you know, mowing corn. If you've got a big enough plot and then you start to mow it in sections, that's a tremendous uh, resource to have. But um, besides that, yeah, I mean, cutting giant trees down to narrow up a plot in a certain area, um, I'll tell you though, I'll tell you a story that's very relevant over the last couple of days. I have a food plot that's, you know, relatively long and narrow. If you want to call it like an L shape in general, it's, it's not quite that, but in general, and I've got a blind in a narrow spot kind of on the, on the point of the L, so to speak, just trying to draw a picture. I can't get maturity or especially, but even, even just, you know, middle-aged does call it. They, for whatever reason, won't come around that corner. Like, I watched them for two hunts in a row, and they're down on the ends of this plot, but they're just going crossways in the narrow section. They'll come out and eat or whatever, but they're just crossing on the ends of the L, if that makes sense. So for whatever reason, they're not comfortable coming all the way down in there. And it's not like I overhunt it by any means. Um, 
So I don't know if they're going to do that during the rut more, hmm. but I'm going to need to tweak that setup a little bit and just simply move. I'm going to have to get in a tree stand and just hunt those ends of that L. I don't know if that I'm trying to paint the visual. I don't know no, if it's making I, sense. I, but, no, it does. It does. I, yeah. I, that's, that's not surprising to me. And, you know, we've had, well, so Perry Batten's been on here. We've talked a lot about how the juries lay out their food plots. That's exactly how they lay them out. A little bit more of a boomerang setting, but same same principle behind it. I won't do that on properties that I design. I very rarely will do that because what I've found over the years is like, and and I don't I don't fully I don't fully understand why, but I know that I've seen these movement and flow. So my own property, for example, unless it's like a short corridor where they're connecting, like the space is like fifty yards, that and and there's an L and it's fifty yards, like that will work. But if it lengthens for for whatever reason. They seem like they're pinched down too at, at at too high of an interval, and so like with mine are like these like slopey movements. So it's like I'll have a slopey movement, and then I'll come across with you know some type of cover. I've been really hesitant to put fencing out in food plots. I've actually found that to be a huge deterrent for their actual natural movement. But beyond that, you know, big bucks do not, and I don't know why this is, but they will totally in our area scatterbrain when you start doing it i've actually seen like a lower rate of usage when you start adding fencing to food plots and i i think it doesn't work well and it disrupts their natural movement which is not a good thing so the more i've tried to constrict their movement the more i realize mm-hmm. i've got to back up and make them give them the movement they want naturally and maybe expand it a little bit and and don't make them feel too confined because I, I don't know what the definition of too confined is is, is kind of what i'm getting mm-hmm. at but it's it's some, yep. something along those lines is too restrictive to them, and it makes them feel you know out of sorts. It also could be you're working with this, and, and I'm not trying to solve the problem, but you're you're working with these two divergent kind of uh, atmospheres where you have one end and the other end, and one end even if the, the food source is equivalent all the way throughout. And what they've tried to do, the juries is they've tried to vary that food source, so, so there's more preferential food right in the center around that boomerang point and that's the driving force but again i think that confinement's a big deal and does not work well i have done this though i've dropped a tree in a food plot one time like that and it it acted as fencing as long as it wasn't too restrictive they were comfortable with it because it was a food source and so yeah there's another piece of that that kind of works whether than just putting fencing out etc so not that it solves your problem or anybody else's problem, but I think that observation you're making is not too far off from what I've seen on some of the designs that I've done. So I think it's good, good takeaway. Uh, yeah, it is. And I'll uh, a couple things to add to it. Um, I where I recently shot that buck that I was telling you about um, that particular setup uh, is what I would call a rut field, which is just like some planted pine trees, some overgrown brush. It's it's a rut field, right? And it's on the downwind side of a timbered area. And we simply went in there and just did like a, it's probably four yards wide. It's basically a small disc width. And we just went down through that rut field and just made a trail, right? Just kind of, it just opened it up something simple, right? Now, to contrast my last statement about the L-shaped food plot in the timber and them not wanting to do it, those deer are walking that uh, strip right there. I put some rye and clover in it, but it's in that rut field. And I think, to your point, one of the conclusions I have is they can still see 
very well because they, you know the rut field they can still see across that it's not like it's over their head or anything yeah so they feel extremely comfortable in that and they're still only a couple leaps from that you know that wooded edge but gosh those deer are just following that to a t and you know so did that big guy that night and um previous nights as well it's just i wasn't sitting in that blind but <laughs> um so there, there's a situation where i've had it work tremendously well with just a thin strip just defining the movement down through some cover I mean, I've seen even, you mentioned the juries. I've seen them drive a tire through fields and they'll deer will follow the tire tracks. Yeah. Yep. I can verify that. I see that all the time. I see them follow tractor tracks through a, like a clover field. They'll follow stupid tractor tracks and it seems silly, but they do. They do it. Well, well I, I tried something this year just because that was a good, Perry and I had a conversation and at, to that point is I waited for a wet day. I drove. And I thought this would move the deer closer to the blind, and it worked, is I drove my tractor, and they followed the tractor track, and he said, you watch, they'll follow that. Again, that was bare ground. I didn't get much growing in that section, which I hate, you know, I hate giving up any space to not, you know, not have food in there, but, you know, it's just a small couple, you know, a couple tracks there. But no, you're you're 100% right. It seems, it's, it's the oddest there's these little pieces of this puzzle that are kind of interesting. The other thing on my own property is kind of interesting. So I have, I put, I put in like willow screening and I've been using it. I always put it in for fencing. So I make it really dense so the deer can't get through it. So this saved me last night. So uh, a nice buck comes in and he got a whiff of something and uh, he was like, what's up? And he turned and he's sitting there and he's licking his, licking his nose, waiting to see, you know, what's going on. He couldn't get his antlers through the the wicket because he was he, he was going to start going downwind to me. He was going to uh-huh. cut through the the willows. But again, this a little thing that I I planned ahead on this. I've been using this you know tactic for years is interweaving willows so they can't get through it because I don't like putting up fencing all over the place. It just it just seems really unnatural. And the only time I'm doing fencing is some distance away from my stand sites or you know, box blinds, what have you, where I've got an access trail in there and I want to put up, you know, some barrier so they're not traveling down that access trail. And I put fencing up and I, I basically put T-posts, you know, one side or the other, and I've got a little gap where I can get around it. You know, usually some structure and I move part of the fence that I can sneak through there. That's the only time I do that. I do not want to be overly restricted to these deers. I think it takes, you know, the gamesmanship or the hunting piece out of it. And I'm just I don't know. People can disagree with me, but that's that's my philosophy. My own property, do with what you want. So, I don't know. It's just yeah. interesting yeah. using vegetation. And, and again, what, what do those deer do? They fall right down that, like the willows, just like it's a hedgerow. And they're as tight yeah. as possible to those willows. So, what I have to do is I have to cut gaps in it so I can shoot through it. You know, a little a little gap, <laughs> you know. And it's, yeah. just, it's just interesting because they're so close. They're within five yards of the box blind. It's just, okay. it's too close. It's too close to shoot. You know, my box blinds aren't even that elevated, but I cannot shoot over the vegetation. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's, and you know, in the rainstorm, with this massive rainstorm, I went out and I have um, like a, a, a hedge trimmer that's, you know, it's got a shaft and a, a long head. And I went out in the rainstorm and I, my son was complaining that I didn't set him up properly in the stand. So I went out there and I buzzed down the willows, you know, just to give him, you know, a better chance so he could shoot him, shoot over him. Cause you know, I like, you, you suspect he can't shoot more than 20 yards. So we're kind of limited, but he wants those close, close shots. So 
I did that the, the other night amongst hanging about 20 solar panels and getting soaked and everything else that goes along with, you know, this, this time of year when yeah. you're, you're kind of coming up with a plan of action. All right. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. My daughter is boring. If we don't see more than like six or eight deer, it's boring. She doesn't want to go back to that stand anymore. Yeah. Well, we had, we, we had, <laughs> like we, you and I've had this conversation, right? Like, okay. So, okay. I, I, I'm ecstatic when I see like four deer. So, you, right. know, you know, and again, these are my areas, like you're saying, it's like, my goodness, like what's a good, they get, they got to see tough before they know what, what good is, you know? So I, yeah. I don't know. My son's yeah. like, I'm getting too cold the other night. I said, I said, man up, you know, like yeah. man up. I want to go home yeah. and relax. We should just go relax. I'm like, you're giving up a chance to shoot a deer right now. I said, I want you to consciously make that decision. He's like, yeah, I want to go home. I was like, you want to go home? I said, all right. I, and I said, I'm not going to hold you hostage up here. If you want to go home, we'll go mm-hmm. home. And, you know, we snuck out and we went home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm not going to force, yeah. I'm not going to force something. All right, Eric, I want to, I want to get off that. I want to get back into any, any other little topic or any other thing that you think would help somebody, you know, in the rut at this point in time that might be an advantage that a lot of people aren't thinking about something that maybe has worked for you in the past that you've, you've used as, as a tactic. Yeah. So this can be rut related, but also, you know, current, because I'm not going to go back to these. I had two hunts and I wish I had this because every time something doesn't, everything went right on this buck hunt that I'm referring to. And I don't want to be a dead horse. So you ask yourself, what could I have done different? Right. I'm hunting out of a box blind, but take this into the rut as well. And I think it, it'll apply. I, the only thing I wish I did different is I had to grunt to stop that deer. Okay. And I'm, you know, in a box blind, you're shooting out of narrow windows. Right. So I had to grunt to stop him in a particular spot. If a buck is cruising during the rut, a similar type thing, you're going to have to grunt to stop that deer. What I wish, and I'm going to do it in any of these, any places I can, I am a big proponent of simply planting a scrape tree in a particular, you know, if it's the rut, a cruising area for this situation with me, it was in that strip that I planted inside that rut field. If I could have put a licking branch, a scrape tree of some sort right there, and do it based on your tree stand. Like get in the tree stand. If you have to do it now, you can, you know, you can still pull it off. Just do it on the right day. If it's in a blind, get in the blind. So you know, literally what window you're going to be shooting out of and put that there because it can be the difference between that deer dropping a foot when you shoot and being relaxed, just checking that scrape tree. So for me, that was an eye opener. It's probably the only thing I can say I wish I did different out of that hunt. But it, you could do it. The same thing applies for during the rut. Um, those deer are going to be going crazy, but they may stop and check a scrape tree looking branch, something like that. It's a good takeaway. Give you that split second. Yeah, no, I, I think it slows them down and it makes it, like you said, keeps them off edge. And obviously, when you're talking about a deer of the caliber you're going after, um, you need everything to work out just right, right? So it's it's putting everything on all the cards on your side. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the other piece of this is uh, maybe a good thing to end with is you don't feel defeated at this point. I mean, I'm certainly you're not pleased with the outcome, but you don't feel defeated. So you're still having to go at it, right? Well, how do you, how do you, I guess, get after it again without feeling 
you know, two down, right? Because this is this is tremendous right. deer, right? For me, I've screwed up. Like I've screwed up on other ones in the past. Like it was just me being a dumbass on something, right? So when in this situation, uh, the difference to me is the plan came together so good, and I really wouldn't have done anything different. I mean, I don't know what I would have done different, other than maybe if I had a licking branch there, maybe I wouldn't have had to you know, grunt with my mouth to stop them and to put them on edge. So I'm, you know, the deer does not have an arrow in him. It's through him. It's a non-vital hit. Everybody I talk to says, you'll see him again. You'll see him again. That's a saving grace for me with this thing. The other thing that helps is we're going into a really good time of the year where that deer is going to have that urge to breed. So um, it's not like it's late season or something where he might just hole up and just, you know, go underground totally. Like we're going into the time of year where he should be visible. Um, those, the combination of all those things is keeping me somewhat sane. I cannot watch the video of it. Um, because <laughs> that drives me crazy because you just don't get that many chances like that. I mean, the video is mint. I mean, it's great. Everything it's, everything's in frame. It's right there. It's just perfect. I can't sit there and watch that or I will go crazy, but um, I'm just going to start hunting him again, even if I don't get a trail cam picture of him. Um, I have a lot of trail cams out, but um, even prior to that hunt when I got the shot at him, he was only on maybe one of the 15 trail cameras on that property per night. So it wasn't like he was showing up a bunch anyway, so he might still he might be there, just not sure. going by. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I just I, everything came together. The plan was so perfect, and like I get enjoyment out of that. But man, it just gives me a whole. I mean, I respect those animals so much as it is. But then when something like this happens, and that deer literally saved his life at thirty yards. I mean, I'm shooting a seventy-five pound bow. I mean, it's no joke. You know, I mean, that thing's going fast, but oh, that yeah. thing dropped like a foot and turned at the same time. And it's just 30 yards is like a danger zone for that. They're close enough to hear it, but they're far enough away to respond. Yeah. If that makes sense. 30 yeah. yards. That's a, that's a, that's tricky. Yeah. It's and, tricky. That, and that drop to bound where they, they drop to bound and, and get out. And it's, it's amazing, you know, their ability to sense and hear that right prior to the actually impact. And we're talking milliseconds before, you know, a deer can actually react. And, you know, in, in all fairness, you know, his reaction saved his life, at least at this point in time, more than likely. So it's, it's not a, it's not a bad thing because it gets you another shot at the apple. And, and at the same point, the way I look at these scenarios, not that they're good is it's, it's a lot probably went into that strategy and execution piece of it. Like you, you had it dialed, like you were prepared. Like when those things come together, like in your hunting career, it's just so satisfying beyond satisfying. Like, it's like, I called my shot. It's the Babe Ruth uh, scenario. And it, it it's so meaningful. I've had that happen over my career many, many times. And it just has given me so much confidence. And like, I have nothing to prove. And I, I, I think you're, you know, in a similar boat. It's just it's a caliber thing. It's a quality thing. It's, it's, we don't have deer of that caliber show up every day. It's not something that you're 
And, and you hunt a really good area, mind you, but it's it's not something that's a common occurrence for us in our state. So for a lot of people that have multiples of high caliber deer, you know, it's it's on to the next. And we sit and probably think a little bit longer about that because there may there may not be another deer of that caliber for some yeah. period of time. So it's, yeah. it's being kind of mindful of, of everyone's different scenarios. And I don't envy the guy that has 10 of those, you know, running around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't. I think that's his circumstance, and that's great for him. Whereas, you know, Eric, even though you do hunt a pretty good area, you know, it's it's uh, – you're mindful of the quality that you're you're trying to pursue, and it, it takes a long time to get a deer to that age class and uh, of that caliber. Yeah. You know, it's a rarity. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna. You know, pretty much now it's that one, or or barring some huge, tremendous surprise. Uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go after him, and that's it. You know, and that's kind of how it was anyway going into it. I was like that particular one. I just that was what I wanted to get, and I tend to do that. Um, I think that's a lot of fun locking in on one trying to learn it and you know the cool part is all right so it's you know that situation i set it up it was he, he read the script he did it right he's still alive all right now that deer you know depending on who you talk to they're all you know i don't know what he's gonna do somebody has one opinion somebody has another I, you know the deer's personality is gonna play into that i'm gonna have to get i have a really strong hunch i'm gonna have to get creative as we go like i i i would be shocked if he walked by that blind again, unless he was really lovesick. So that takes that one out of the equation. And that was my number one setup for him. So now it's going to take a little creativity, I think to, to, to bounce around a little bit and um, try to get within range of him again. Yeah. And I think that's probably a good thing. And it was maybe meant to be that way yeah. where it gives you an opportunity to maybe learn a new area or, or try a new tactic or go after something different. Mm-hmm. You know, there was, yeah. there was intention behind that. I'm sure. Um, sure, yeah. I'd like to see you with a monster, uh, but <laughs> things sometimes, you know, they don't play out that way. All right. Yeah. So we're getting to the end of this and I wanted right. to kind of leave a chance for you to kind of talk about anything that's on your mind. Um, I've enjoyed having you on, you know, we did the box blind and obviously this, I'd like to continue to have you on. I think you're, you're a good amount of knowledge here. What, anything on your mind that you think is relevant or something you want to say to the audience? we got a pretty big listenership this time of year so. Something that's you know from your, your your mind or heart that you think would help folks out towards the the, the rest of the season. Everybody's everybody finds different, enjoy, you know everybody gets a different enjoyment out of different parts of the hunt, you know. And I just I just encourage everybody to figure out what that is, and and I mean it's okay whatever it is. It might change as time goes on, but I. I mean, for me, I know everybody's not going to think the same way as me, and that's that's totally cool. But I just get, I would encourage the experience part of it. Um, you know, whether it's the experience for yourself or for you know a kid or somebody getting into it. But you know, don't don't rush it. Just um, enjoy each day as it goes. I mean, I tell everybody all the time. There's only one October. 28th there's only one october 29th a year i mean they're all good so just enjoy it um make the most out of it try to learn something and then you know the other part is just i always encourage people to try to do a little better you know if you shoot a two and a half year old buck for five years in a row you know i mean if that's what you want great i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you that's wrong but like i just i find so much enjoyment out of 
the challenge and challenging yourself and growing as a hunter. And then, you know, growing as a hunter doesn't have to mean shooting older deer. It can mean, you know, uh, bringing another hunter into it, teaching them how to do it. So, um, I don't know. That's, I guess that's kind of where I'm at with stuff. I could blabber about that all day, but that's me personally with it all. And, um, you know, it's neat this year cause I got my first, uh, my first child, my daughter, she's 12 and bringing her out. So I'm really trying to be patient in the sense of I'm going to lose hunting time. You know what I mean? I, I am. And I told you the story about her arrow, like slow motion going through the sky and way over that doe's back. And it's like, Oh gosh, how am I ever going to get her? <laughs> I don't know. I, it's like mission impossible right now. You know, I got this, I got this five and a half year old buck that ducks my arrow at 30 yards. And it's like, you know, I got that. And then I got my daughter, you know, lobbing arrows out there. And I don't know. Sometimes I'm, I'm I don't know. It seems like a, uh, it's almost mission impossible, but I'm sure we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And hopefully you can laugh, be- laugh about it. Right. Cause it's, it's, uh, there's an enjoyment piece of this too. And it's, those are the memories, you know, like, you know, remember that time you, you know, you shot 10 feet over that deer's back. Well, dad, you, mm-hmm. you missed that giant, huh? <laughs> you know, it's, it's always that give and take in the relationship. And I, uh, I appreciate that. I, I think those are great words of encouragement for folks. And I think people should you know, kind of listen to what you had to say. I think that was important. Um, appreciate you being on the podcast. Looking forward to kind of catching up with you. I think, you know, we might do a recap at the end of the season. I think, I've gotten a ton of feedback. People enjoy these, you know, kind of these detailed. I think a lot of people don't get in the details, and I think that's been a good chance for us to kind of describe what's going on and give people some real information. There's no reason to sugarcoat anything, right? I don't know everything that's mm-hmm. out there, neither do you, and we're kind of exploring yeah. this as time goes on and using our knowledge or science and, you know, what, whatever our prowess is out in the field to kind of make some decisions and, and be informed. So mm-hmm. appreciate everybody listening yeah. to the podcast, and Eric, appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Talk soon. See ya. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.